Let's pray. God, we praise you for that miracle you did for us on the cross. You paid our debt. And now, Lord, as we look at one another, we don't have to see what we owe you because you paid it for us. We, we, we simply give you everything. We give you our lives. We turn it over to you. We say, God, you can do a much better job with it than we ever could. And so we live in a place of thankfulness for what you've done for us, making us white as snow. We praise you. We worship you. And now as we open up your word, Lord, may you teach us how we can live this life to honor you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist. And um, let me invite you to take out your bulletin for one last little plug. And that is on the back side, you'll see a new series begins next week. Who knows what next week is? Okay, sons, you remember that, daughters, okay, remember, remember that, next week is Mother's Day, so we have a new series called Family Portrait, God's Design for Marriage, Family, and Relationships, I'm actually going to run that series from Mother's Day to Father's Day, so uh, hope that you'll come be a part of that, and next week, uh, this is kind of some brand new information, we are going to take some family portraits, So we're going to kind of have some fun with it. You'll see what we mean when you come next week. But if you have a family, bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your great-grandkids if you like. Bring mom. um, Come and we'll have a place where you can take your picture and remember this day or next week. um, Remember what that day stood for. So we hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Hope you have your outline there as well. I want to welcome uh, the venue service as well as the, uh, those who are listening online and the wiggle room as well. Great to have you here. Um, I, I want to start off today talking a little bit about those events in history that many of us connect with because we know right where we were when the event happened. Usually they're, they're kind of tragic events. Um, some of you in this room will remember uh, Pearl Harbor. And when Pearl Harbor was bombed, you'll remember right where you were when you first heard that news. Others of you probably remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas in the news. And you remember right exactly where you were when you received that information. I wasn't alive for that, but I I was alive when President Reagan, when the attempted assassination happened on his life. I was in the fifth grade, and I remember our uh, teacher, fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Lawrence, came out and told us as we stood in line coming in from lunch that an assassination had been made on the president, but they thought he was going to live, and we talked a little bit about that day. Many, many more, though, of us here in this room remember uh, 9-11. That Tuesday morning when you awoke, or however you may have heard that news, turned on the news cameras, seen the airplanes and the Twin Tower and all that went back on there in the East Coast, the Pentagon and the terrorist attacks. And and those events just happened to to burn, etch things in our memory. Um, Another one that I wanted to recall for some of you was, and I remember this one because I was a sophomore in high school, was when the space shuttle Challenger exploded. 
1986. It was in January 26 or January 28th of 1986. Uh, my brother and I were heading to school, listening to the radio, and it was interrupted. There was a news alert that this had happened. It got to my first period of class, and the teacher had had the TVs out there, and we were watching what had taken place. Um, we remember those situations, and, and it caused me to remember and reflect back on some of those things when this year marked the 30th anniversary of that space shuttle Challenger explosion. Um, and there were different articles and newsreels and, and um, things that happened. You'll recall 73 seconds after liftoff, seven astronauts uh, died. It was discovered that the cold weather didn't allow an O-ring to fit perfectly into where it needed to be, and the explosion took place. Um, and a news radio uh, report that was on uh, in January of this year celebrating or remembering, not celebrating, but really remembering that time, um, interviewed a man by the name of Bob Ibeling. And he was in charge of that portion of the space shuttle, the O-rings and such that needed to be put in place. He actually stepped up and said, hey guys, I don't think we should allow the space shuttle to go on this day. It was too cold. He warned the people, but the people said, no, I think we should still do it. And he came home the night before and told his wife, what he thought was going to happen. And unfortunately, he lives with that. Even though he tried to take care of it, he lives with it. And when he gave the interview, he said this. He says, I live with that guilt. In fact, I still have that guilt. 30 years later, I have it right here, he says. He says, that was one of the mistakes that God made. He said, he shouldn't have picked me for that job. But next time I talk to him, I'm going to ask him. Why me? You picked a loser for that job. You see what guilt can do? 30 years later, still carrying that guilt, and he feels as though he's a loser causing those things to happen to other people. Just yesterday, I was reading in the Stockton Record. If you, if you get the record, it was just a little article on, on one of the back pages. I think it was the front, pay, uh, front section back page on a former Nazi guard who apologizes at his trial. Let me just read this to you. This was yesterday's paper. It says, uh, uh, this is from Germany, headlines from Germany. A 94-year-old sergeant admitted in court Friday that he had served as an Auschwitz um, death camp guard apologizing to Nazi Holocaust survivors looking on in a German courtroom that even though he was aware Jews were being gassed and their corpses burned, he did nothing to try and stop it. Reinhold Hanning told the Detmold State Court that he had never spoken about his wartime sp uh, service in Auschwitz from January 1942 to June of 1944, two and a half years. Even to his family he hadn't, but he wanted to use his trial as an opportunity to set the record straight. And I quote, he says, I want to say that it disturbs me deeply that I was part of such a criminal organization. He actually spoke this as he sat in a wheelchair talking with a weak voice into a microphone. He said, I'm ashamed that I, I saw the injustice and I never did anything about it and I apologize for my actions. I am very, very sorry. Some 60, 70 years after the occurrence, holding on to that guilt, finally, 94 years of age, confessing it. You know, there are probably situations in our lives 
probably not as drastic as those, that we are still holding on to. And I don't want you, I do not want you to take that to your grave. I don't want you to take it a decade into it or seven decades into your life. I don't want you to take it another day. And so that's why we're talking about this. And we started this series last week or this this two-part message last week on how to deal with that stone of guilt that we feel possibly weighed around our neck. Actually, this is the last of the series, a breakthrough. I trust many of you have made breakthroughs. I talked to a gal out in the uh, Narthex just today. She said, thank you so much for this series. She has tears in her eyes where she said, you don't know what this has done for me. I, I hope some of you took a step of salvation. I hope some of you took a step of forgiveness, as we talked about uh, nearly four or five weeks ago, uh, a step of, of, of working on your parent wounds, perhaps, or, or comparisons where we compare one another, as Pastor Scott shared with us for a couple weeks. And then last week, we started talking about guilt and wanting to kind of clear that up today. Because from time to time, we all get stuck in some situations where we need a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough that just kind of pushes us through. It says we no longer have to stay behind and stay separated from where God wants us to be. So last week I I shared about the best way of getting rid of that guilt that leads to depression or physical sickness or sabotaging ourselves or thinking that we're failures or as this person said here about the space shuttle that I'm a loser for 30 years. He carried that with him. I am a loser. The best way to deal with that guilt is to realize how much God has forgiven us. See, the world doesn't tell you that. And I have a feeling these two guys who are dealing with this situation, they never heard this message you are going to hear today about how forgiving our Lord is to say, if you come with a sense of repentance, if you come with a sense of saying, yes, I, I ask for forgiveness, that God is so ready to forgive. And here's the verse we read last week. In fact, it's on the top of your outline. If you want to read it up on the screen, you can do that. But let's let's read this together. Okay, would you read this with me? Colossians 2, chapter, um, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Let's read it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to go online and see the first two points that I share. But let me just review very quickly those first two again. And that is that God forgives instantly and God forgives completely. He forgives instantly, and He forgives completely, which can be so hard for us to understand because we think on human terms. And on human terms, we don't do a very good job of forgiving and forgetting, do we? Maybe we can forgive, but we really don't what? We really don't. Humanly, it's almost impossible to forget when someone hurts you and hurts you deeply. That is just not the same with God. God is not human. He's God. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, He is now able to say, I forgive you and I forget what you have done against me. We stand before Him positionally, 
instantly forgiven, completely forgiven. In fact, it's what it says in Jeremiah 31, 34, that I will forgive their iniquity, another word for sin. I will remember their sin, what? No more. I'm not going to remember it on them anymore. By what Jesus has done for us. Look at the next verse here. We just read this together, but let me read it out of Philip's again. He has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hang over our heads. He's completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. It's done. It is finished by what Jesus did on the cross, which means your sins don't count against you. Your sins don't count against you in God's eyes anymore. That frees us from having to live with that huge weight of guilt we have. Your debt has been paid. It, it's kind of like this. Let me say it this way. Um, it's kind of like when we worry. Any of you have any uh, Visa or MasterCard card, credit card bills that come due? Okay. Okay? When those things are coming due and you know it's coming due and you don't have like the money and the funds in the bank when it's going to be coming due and you start getting a little worried about that, right? And maybe even, you know, it's gone a little bit too long and you overdo your deadline. You're starting to feel guilty about this. And then what if someone came along and said, whoa, it's been paid for. That's the way it is with God. Our sin has been paid in full. Not even just a payment plan. It has been paid in full. In fact, let me ask you this. Which, um, do you have guilt or worry over paid bills or unpaid bills? Right? It's the unpaid bills, isn't it? Those are the ones we feel guilty. Those are the ones we, 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 we worry over. This is how God is able to forgive and forget. It's already been paid in full. Got it? Right? It's been paid in full. We just talked about that. So now God can say when that bill comes due, oh, that one's been paid by what Jesus did for us. That's the good news. That is really good news. Now, are there consequences due our, to our sin? Absolutely there are consequences to our sin in this, heavenly, or in this earthly realm. Absolutely. I could invite you up and you could probably each share testimony after testimony after testimony about the living hell you put yourself through, you put your family through, you put people who you love through from the sins that, poss- that, that, that you committed. It, it hurts God, it hurts yourself, it hurts others. But by receiving Christ in our lives, we are now positionally, positionally in his eyes, deemed forgiven. In other words, what Jesus has done has taken care of what we have done. That's an amen moment. Amen? Amen. amen. So we talked last week about quit looking in the rearview mirror. We don't live looking backwards. We live looking forward. We drive a car looking forward. Okay, you glance every now and then just to make sure nothing's going on back there, but you live looking forward. Satan wants you looking in the rearview mirror. Satan wants you to live like that. In fact, our our men, we talked about this at our uh, Tuesday morning uh, men's breakfast, um, and, and the saying came up, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you just take the time to remind him of his what? Of his future. Absolutely. Look where he's headed. You're not headed that way. He is just trying to get your mindset going that way. You are guilty. You are guilty. Remember what you did. Remember what you did so that you won't live an effective Christian life. 
You can use that trash in your background for God's glory. You use it. You shine the light. You know what Satan is like? He is like a cockroach. That is what Satan is like. You remember, you know, when you wake up in the morning time, you go out into your kitchen, and those little critters have been feasting on the floor, right? And you flip on the lights. What do they do? They run from the light. They do not like light. Satan doesn't like light. He doesn't like truth. That's what you need to shine on your life. If you're getting this, this kind of this, 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 this reminder from Satan or he's making you feel as though the things that you've done, you still pay those consequences. No, you, you stand before God guilt-free. You're forgiven instantly. You're forgiven completely. And let me give you the next point that's on the outline. God also forgives repeatedly. He forgives repeatedly. All right, show of hands. How many of you have ever committed the same sin more than once? Okay, the rest of you are lying, all right? Okay, okay. Or how many of you have ever felt, you know, a a little bit embarrassed about having to ask God for forgiveness for something time and time and time again, right? Are we there? Okay, maybe you kind of like feel like he's keeping score on you and it's like, oh, it's 70 times 7, oh, it's 490, not 491, oh, no, it's like, oh, oh, off the hell you go. You know, we, we, we kind of feel like maybe we're in that, that mode. Martin Luther was, was classic for this. He's the great reformer, um, kind of started and moved us towards the Protestant Reformation. He struggled with this greatly before he discovered the grace that's in God's word. In fact, Martin Luther went to confession every day because he felt so bad and guilt-ridden for his sins. He said he would have gone every hour if they would have taken him every hour. I mean, I mean, it went really overboard. On nights where he slept well and he didn't you know, feel guilty and tortured by his sin, he'd wake up in the next morning and say, here I am, I am having a good night's sleep, as guilty as I am. He'd go to the priest and say, Father, forgive me for I have slept well. That, I, I mean, that, that's how guilty he felt and didn't even like to feel that if he would sleep well. And so one day after he had been there time and time and time again, the priest finally looked back at him and said, Martin, either find a new sin and commit it or quit coming to see me. Sometimes that's how it may feel with us and God. In fact, look at Hebrews 7.25. Look what it says there. It says, therefore, God is able to save completely those who come to God through him being Christ, because he always lives to intercede for them. Realize You have Jesus who is interceding on your behalf before God the Father right now. He says he always intercedes for us. That's what his death did for us. That's how God God can not count it against us because he sees what Jesus has done for us. In fact, let me give you a little different thought on this. Um. Those repeated sins that we maybe struggle with and we feel kind of stupid having to go back to God and ask for forgiveness again and again and again and again. Um, Maybe, let me just pose this thing out. I don't have this all worked out. I'm just kind of posing this to you. It's kind of nice to know that you're probably not going to commit every sin there is. Although some of you may be working on that. But that's another point. (laughs) Kind of nice to know that. Every sin you're probably going to get tripped up on three, four, five ones that you keep doing. Think about that. 
Maybe it's anger. And what happens here? Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's coveting. Maybe it's worry. You know, you keep getting tripped up on the same ones. That's what Satan's going to keep bringing by your way. That's what he's going to keep hitting you hard on. That, that, oh, God's not going to forgive you this time. Oh, God's not going to forgive you this time. He's not going to forgive you this time. Where scripturally, we need to look at, and scripture talks about, when we sin, we need to confess it to God. When we fall down, we get picked back up. We fall down, we get back up. We fall down, and we get back up. Now, how do we often deal with it? When we fall down, sometimes I think we, um, we, I think many times we procrastinate on asking God for forgiveness with some of these sins. And, and, and I'll tell you why. I think inwardly we think, you know what? I need to get this right. And I, and I need to do this on my own. And so maybe a day goes by, maybe two days go by, and we try and deal with it on our own so that we can come to God already kind of feeling like, oh, I got victory over this one now. When, when, when we sin, we need to come right to him and say, God, I'm sorry. Would you help me overcome this? I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. And we keep a clear conscience by continually coming to him. You know, guilt is like garbage. That's why you need to take it out repeatedly. Okay? You all have like your, your, your kitchen sink, you know, your kitchen underneath the sink where you have that little garbage can. Right? We used to have a real little garbage can, and now we have twice as many members, so we have a little bigger garbage can in there. But it's the one under the sink that you scrape off, you know, your dinner scraps, and it's all the, where all the smelly stuff goes. Let's say, let's say you get tired of continuing to take that out, and so you think, you know what, if I just had a bigger garbage can, I wouldn't have to take this out as much. And so you get a bigger garbage can, and you put it over in the pantry. And you follow that same line of thinking, you're like, okay, this is good, this is good, because I still have to take that out every other day instead of every day. Let's, let's get a bigger garbage can. And so you get one of those 50-gallon garbage cans that's out on your street, and you just bring it into your kitchen. You're like, hey, let's just keep doing it right here. Let's just keep throwing it in there. Then I don't have to take it out as much. You think, well, you know, that's worked. And so you keep falling in line of thinking, let's get a big dumpster and let's just put it right in the living room. And then that'll take care of some things as well. And then you get so smart that you bring in one of those, you know, those 60-foot wide remodel your house kind of things. And you say, let's just throw that in there and, and let's never have to take out the garbage. You think about that. Where are you now living in your garbage, right? That's not the way it's set up. I, I mean, that's, that, that's stupid, it's set up so that you have that little garbage can that you need to take out daily, maybe even hourly, of coming before the Father and saying, I am sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and the way we take out that garbage is we confess it. We confess it before Him, saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. In fact, look what the Bible says about confession. You have the verse there, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all what? All the unrighteousness. If we confess that, we confess it before Him. All right, let me shift gears here for just a bit. That's the promise God gives to us. But it's not a promise I hope you just leave here and say, woohoo, free license to sin. That is not what that is doing. Because here's the problem. Confession that often 
confession that comes that easily can often be taken for granted and even abused and even used to find loopholes so that we can sin again. Well, it won't matter if I just say this over here because God's just going to forgive me. It's all right. Well, it won't matter if I'm angry and when I'm angry, I lash out because God's still going to forgive me. It's okay. That's not what it's set up for. That, that's cheap grace. That's cheap confession of just saying, oh, God, forgive me and, and marking on. That is not what it's there for. Sometimes we use confession even as kind of a little bit of guilt relief. I had some friends in college who um, were partying as hard as they could on the weekends. Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday night, they would party so hard. But Sunday morning, something was in their mind that they needed to be in church on Sunday morning. And so Friday and Saturday night lined up nothing like Sunday did, but they just thought that they could do whatever they wanted on Friday and Saturday night because Sunday would take care of it. Okay, I, I, I get where they're coming on that, but that's not how God set that up. Because in all honesty, I use that illustration, we all play that game. Some degree, we play that kind of a game. In fact, let me, let me use this kind of illustration. Um, let's say that you have a brother or a sister who, who steals from you continually, who maybe even embarrasses you in public, who talks badly about you, but once a week... They come to you and they say, you know what, I'm really sorry about that, which you know because they come every week and tell you they're really sorry about that. But then they go right back out and they continue to do it the next week. And then the next week they come to you and they say, you know what, I'm really sorry about that. But then they go out and they do the same exact thing. Let me ask you, what kind of a relationship are you going to have with this person Not a very good one, huh? In fact, you probably would say, I don't want to be in relationship with you. That's not the cycle that God wants us to be on by just coming and confessing something. What that is called is like conscience relief. We're we're trying to relieve ourselves, and in a weird sort of a way, we think that when we confess before God, it allows us to be more accepted by Him or that God feels better about what we do. Okay, that's not the biblical idea of confession at all. In fact, let me share with you what the biblical idea of confession is. The English definition is to admit or to acknowledge something, something wrong, a wrong that we did. But in the Bible, confession is associated with change. Okay? Confession is just one step to leading us over and getting over that guilty heart, leading us out of that kind of a darkness, but it's just the beginning of the process. And you can go back. I found this in the Catholic Church. The Catholic idea originally for penance and for confession, um, they support this idea because in the early days of Catholicism, you were not allowed to continue to just go on with a sin. What you would do is you would, you would confess the sin and then you were expected to change. You couldn't just do it over and over and over again. You confessed it, you got a penance that you had to pay, and then change was expected. In fact, penance is a form of the word repentance. You know what the word repentance means? It means you're walking one way 
and you realize the wrong of your ways, and so you turn around and you walk the other way. That's what confession leads to. It's repentance. You're walking. You realize this is wrong. I don't want to do this again. Not just confess it. You say, I don't want to do this. And so you turn back around and you go the other way. The biblical model there, confession, it's clearly connected with repentance and restitution and restoration in one's life. And let me, let me show you some examples of this. You have the verse there at the bottom of the page, Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Let me read to you. Old Testament. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed. And he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. What does that mean? What it means is if you stole five sheep, and you realize, oh, that was wrong, you confess it, you give five sheep back plus a sixth. If you stole $1,000, you confess it, you give the $1,000 back plus another fifth, plus 200 more dollars. For the Old Testament Jew, this wasn't just about feeling better about yourself, it was making things right with the one that you wronged, plus interest. Maybe that was even there to, you know, tell you, quit doing this, paying restitution. God's not just interested in us being sorry. He wants change in our lives. And, And public confession and restitution certainly can motivate that kind of change. In fact, look at what happened um, in the New Testament with John the Baptist. Again, uh, this is on the back page, Mark 4, excuse me, Mark 1, 4 through 5. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of, what's the word there? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's what baptism does for us. Baptism is going down into the water and coming back up as a way of saying I've been washed clean. I'm confessing my old lifestyle is no good. I want to come up to a new lifestyle in Christ. Now, do we still sin? Yes, we still sin. We are human, but we don't model that. We don't live that kind of a lifestyle. We live it now under God's leadership in our lives. And if you have not been baptized, I want to challenge you to take that step today. Right after this service, you can go right through those doors, up the stairs. Pastor Derek will lead you in that class. And in two weeks, you can have the opportunity to be right up there in the waters and to identify with Christ of saying, my life was going this way. My life is now going this way. And if you have Christ as Lord and Savior, you've not been baptized, I want to challenge you. Take that step today. I mean, even look at, look at Zacchaeus. What, what do we remember most about the little guy in, in, the, in the New Testament, the story of Zacchaeus? Remember, Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man, right? He was a tiny guy. He was a wee little man. Was he? he was also a wicked little man is what he was. He was a tax collector who was taking in money to support not only this country, but himself. And he lived high on the hog. He was a traitor to the people around him. And when he met Jesus, Scripture shows that he was changed because he made things right. 
You know, I've always read that story and thought, well, that was a pretty quick change, turn on a dime. But, you know, I think there's a little bit more to the story that behind the scene. Jesus says, I want to go over to your house. They go to the house. They eat a meal together. And look what it says out of um, Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood after the dinner, said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it how many times? Fourfold. I think you know what he's saying? He's saying, man, look at the stuff around me. Uh, I kind of got this dishonestly. So I need to make this right. Let's give this to the people who need it because I'm, I'm confessing this right now. This was wrong, and I want to get it right. That's how you know a confession's on track, where it needs to go. And notice the reaction Jesus gives. He's not like, well, you know, you've said it, and that's enough. No, what does he say? He says, oh, man, because of that, because of your change, because of your actions, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And this gets a little, a, a little tough. That, yes, are we before God guilt-free? Yes, we can be guilt-free because of what Jesus has done for us. But it doesn't just rest there. In fact, let me, let me give you one more kind of stinger. Matthew chapter 5. Look what it says. This is Jesus. He says, hey, um, if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, coming to church, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and then go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift before the Lord. Then make it right. In other words, make it right with them before you make it right with God. Can't you just see the people? They're like, whoa, Jesus. That, that, okay, that's a little mind-blowing there. I have just like walked half a day to get here to the church, to the altar. And um, I've like, you know, I, I, I have stood in line for a half hour here waiting for it to get in here. And now you're telling me that my lamb or my sheep is not good enough. And I, my dove, I have to take that, tie that up or give the dove to someone else. Go all the way back to wherever I'm from and make it right with my brother. I'm not so, I'm not so hip on that. Really? Is that what you're asking me to do? And she says, yeah. Because... Um, Perhaps the one that you have offended is not just God, but it's your brother or your sister. So get it right. In other words, in some situations, you cannot resolve your difference with God if you're unwilling to resolve your difference with the people around you. Because there's people in your life that you've wronged. And, and, and hear me on this now. I'm not wanting to make you feel guilty on a message on guilt, all right? But I just need to share with you. And if you've done this already, don't feel guilty. If you've made it right with someone else, don't feel guilty about it. But perhaps some of you have, have got a quickened heartbeat and sweaty palms here. And you know the Spirit's kind of pushing you on something. And, and you need to get this right. Maybe the reason you feel guilty is because there's still some unresolved things. And maybe it wasn't just God that you offended, but it was someone else. And so Scripture says, take that to heart, take that step, and get it right. Before God, yes, we are forgiven. Teleo, we are, we are, it's been fully paid, debt paid. But maybe God wasn't the only one offended. So we need to take that step as well. 
that allows us to drop the weight. That allows us to say, God, before you, I stand guilt-free and feel now guilt-free. It's really how we're supposed to come to a time of communion. And so all across our campus today, and the venue as well, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I want us to do it with a clear conscience. That's how we're instructed to come. In fact, the verses that we come to are out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Let me just read those to you. Paul is given a teaching on coming to a time with the Lord's Supper and celebrating. Here's what he says. He says in verse 27, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. He says, let a person examine himself, then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Today, as you're waiting for the elements to come, I pray you have a chance to examine yourself, examine your heart. In fact, some of you may need to just step out and make a phone call. Hey, you know what? I, I know we're going to resolve this. We're going we're to get this right. I'm going to do my part. Paul says, you want to come to this table? Clear conscience. Feeling good. And then he gives the instructions. He had already actually done that. So let's back up to verse 23. Where it says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he gives those instructions that I just read, saying, don't come irreverently. Don't come without having examined your heart. Don't come without having confessed it to the Lord and to others if you need to. But come if you're a believer. Come if you are in Christ, forgiven by Christ. Come and do this. To remember what he did for us. And what a better way to end a message on guilt. Knowing that these elements symbolize what Jesus did for us on the cross. Saying, paid in full for you. For you. So if you're a believer, you come. You do not have to be a member here at First Baptist Church. You just need to be in the family of God. And maybe some of you here today realize today you haven't been there. You haven't made that U-turn. You haven't made that repentance. You haven't taken that step. Today, before we take these elements, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And so why don't we all pause? Let's pray in the venue here as well. We'll pray and um, prepare our hearts to receive this communion time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness of us. The cross that you bore that should have been ours, you took it for us. And Lord Jesus, the brothers and sisters across this auditorium and in the gymnasium as well, we, um, we say thank you. And we come before you with examined hearts. We come before you with um, clear conscience. And Lord, if we don't have that yet, I pray that we can get that by confessing to you. And Lord, if we know we have things that we need to confess with others, Lord, may we step and do that. Even if it means leaving right here and now, may we do that to get things right. 
God, we want to be obedient to your word. I thank you that you allow us to live the power of your son. Now, not being perfect, but being forgiven. But still a lifestyle that says we identify, God, with what you did for us. And folks, if you're here today and you realize, I've never repented. I've never gone a different direction from what steps I've been taking on my own life. Then today would be a day to say, Lord Jesus, I choose to turn the other way. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to be washed clean. I want to be white as snow before you, Lord Jesus, today. I say, would you forgive me? I invite you into my heart and into my life. By faith, I receive, Jesus, what you've done for me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the numerous people who have done that years and years, some decades and decades. But Lord, today, perhaps there be even one who for the first time has said yes to you. You got to know, today you can take these elements because these were done for you. They remind us what this means. This incredible debt being paid by the body and by the blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We humbly come before you. For it's in the name of Jesus we now pray as we receive these elements. Amen.